All right. Good morning. I'm glad again to be here with you all. Uh, thank you for those who are watching online. Glad that you're joining us today. Uh, so today we are going to be starting a new series, and this is kind of birthed out of, uh, for camp this year, uh, for Teen Week, we uh, kind of studied for five different ways through li- David's life. And David's one of those characters that a lot of times a VBS guy, and he stays at VBS sometimes, and I don't want him to stay at VBS anymore. I don't want him to even stay in our minds of the things in between, like the, like the big events, right? Um, and I just kind of fell in love with the story again. And reading through things that you kind of might have read when you were younger and then revisiting them sometimes gives you a new kind of spark and new kind of interest in it. And so for the next several weeks, we're just going to be looking in 1 Samuel and just finding these characters and really asking ourselves, do the lives of these characters that lived a very, very long time ago still speak to us today in 2022? A lot's changed since then, right? A lot of people have come and gone. But I think the answer that I hope that we're all going to come to is yes, these lives, these people, these characters, they still speak to us. They still have something to say to us today, even though we are so far removed from, from them in our lives. So I'm going to be in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1, so if you want to go ahead and flip over to that. And we're just going to dive right in, okay? So this is going to be 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. There was a certain man from Ramathan, a Zuphite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerome, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, and the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. And we are in it. That last sentence there, he had two wives, One was called Hannah, and the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. You can hear. I I feel uncomfortable reading that. Um, We're introduced to three characters here very quickly. And just so that we're all kind of on the same page, it's Elkanah, Hannah, and Penina. Elkanah here, we're kind of introduced to him in the story as a very pious man. He's introduced as as, as being from Ephraim, Ephraim, or however you want to say it. I'm going to say Ephraim. Um, and if, we're, if you're familiar with your is- Israelite history, there was 12 tribes and they had different allotments. And, and Elkanah is associated with, with Ephraim, but actually if you read 1 Chronicles, he's a descendant of Levi, which means that he was a priestly division, which means he didn't actually have any land to call his own. So his association to Ephraim is by the fact that he was probably serving in a capacity as a priest, Okay. So he's, he's saying he's an Ephraimite, but he's living there. He's among the people. He's probably considered uh, as one of those people, but he's probably also serving in the role of kind of a priest. And that makes a lot of sense after you read the rest of 1 Samuel chapter 1 because he's very pious, very dedicated to going and serving, going into these festivals and doing the things that he ought to be doing. And he's serving in this capacity. And I just want you to have that in mind to kind of understand him a little bit more. Very, very dedicated to the word, very dedicated to these sacrifices, these festivals, and the things he ought to be doing as a man of God. Okay, so that is Elkanah. And then we have Hannah and Penina. Let's continue reading here in 1 Samuel, uh, verses 3 through 8. Year after year, this man, Elkanah, went up from his town to worship and sacrificed the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the, t- the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. 
Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and all the other, all the other sons and daughters. But Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? A whole lot of drama, right? I mean, so to me, it's like if there was a reality TV show, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, there's a whole lot of fodder there for reality TV. There's a lot to be said. And just a little bit of context as well, as I was studying this week, I found out that uh, when a man and a woman are unable to have children in this kind of line, one of the things that they would do after 10 years is that the man would also find a different wife in order to continue the line of his family, in order to fulfill the, the command from God to be fruitful and multiply. And today we're reading this, and like I said, there's a little bit of a disconnect because we realize now today that sometimes... Men and women just can't have kids. It's not God's ordained mission for them to not be able to bear children, but just sometimes because of our brokenness in the world, people are just unable to do this. And in no way am I saying this, that this kind of philosophy is good or right, but this is the kind of thing they, they uh, attributed to, you know, God blessing them and God producing a line for their family. So this is the reason why Elkanah, a very pious man, very dedicated to following God's rules, God's laws, takes uh, Penina as his wife. But in the middle of all this, the relationship between Elkanah and the wives gets a little dicey, okay? We have to pay, pay attention to how they're listed here. I'm just going back very quickly to how they're listed in the very first place. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. We have Hannah listed first and Penina listed second. To me, this is signifying something about the relationship between Hannah and Elkanah. They're very close, he loves his wife. We see the way that Elkanah treats his wife during, he gives her a double portion of meat, right? He loves this woman, and he wants to show her love by giving her more things that he can give her, right? But then the second listing here, right? Um, Penina had children, but Hannah had none. There's this imbalance. This listing is, is showing me that there's a very different imbalance between how this relationship functions between these three people. It is not healthy, Right? It's not what God probably wants for their family. If you go, if we, if we continue reading here, um, excuse me, at the very last part there, why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? This is Elkanah speaking to Hannah. He's literally saying, the literal translation of this is saying, why is your heart bad, Hannah? He sees his wife, and you see that he's hurting for his wife, and he looks at her. He's trying to do everything possible. He gives her a double portion of meat. He's trying to speak to her. Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Please have more of this. Why is your heart bad? He's hurting for his wife as his wife is hurting in that moment. And not just in that moment, right? This happened year after year. You can feel the weight that Hannah is carrying around. Are you with me? You can feel the weight that Elkanah is carrying around. After reading these eight verses, I come to realize that nobody is happy whatsoever, right? Because we have Elkanah who has two wives that are always at odds with each other. He loves Hannah, but Hannah is unable to produce children. And there's that, there's that guilt that's weighing on Hannah. There's that guilt that's weighing on him. 
Hannah's upset because she cannot bear children. She's asking these questions, God, why did you choose me to carry this burden, to not have children? Why did you give me this burden and then I have to share my home with this woman who gives me such grief? And then you have Penina, who is obviously upset with this relationship as well because she gave Elkanah children, right? She, she fulfilled what God said to be fruitful and multiply, but yet she doesn't get a double portion. Why does Elkanah give her more when I'm the one who gave him children? Nobody's happy. We're sitting here, and we're, I'm kind of asking myself the question, what do we do here? This whole relationship is confusing, and it kind of got me thinking about myself a little bit. I'm being a little bit self-reflective here, how this is a very untenable situation. And I, I want you to think about it as well. Have you ever been in a relationship that seems hopeless? Don't look at your spouse right now, okay? That would be weird. But like, um, nah, I, sh- I shouldn't joke about that. That was a bad joke. Um, uh, but I started thinking about this, and my situation is nothing like this situation, but I started thinking about my 10th grade chemistry teacher, okay? His name was Mr. Williams, and he was mean, okay? Um, he was a first-year teacher, and I don't know why, but he decided to pick on me all year long. Um, I, I was maybe a little bit annoying at times. I thought I was funnier than I actually probably was. I had little jokes to sprinkle in throughout, and he didn't appreciate that much. Uh, so he took to calling me Stimpy instead of my name. And if you're a kid from the 90s, there is a show called Ren and Stimpy on TV. I wasn't allowed to watch it, okay? Um, but Stimpy was an idiot, okay? Uh, but he would call me Stimpy, even though I was like, you're an adult, why are you calling me Stimpy? And he's like, shut up, Stimpy. I'm like, man, that really hurt my feelings, you know? I tried to put on a, a brave face and get through it. I joked through it, but... I just really didn't know what to do because this adult was being so mean to me. But I, I can also imagine he probably didn't really like me either, right? So there was this imbalance. There's like this hopeless, anything that I did, I mean, he would write me up for the dumbest things in school. I was like, man, are, do you have a vendetta against me as a human being? It seems like it. Everything just did not seem like it was copacetic between us, right? There was no hope for that relationship to be granted. It was like nothing I did could ever be right in his eyes. It really made me feel less than as a human being. And I did not succeed in chemistry either. And I know this is a silly example, and maybe, you know, I'm making light of a situation that ought not to be, right? I know many of you can probably think of relationships yourself. Maybe it's with a spouse. Maybe it's with your parents, a sibling, a relative, a former coworker, a former friend that you are no longer able to even sit in the same room with. That, that, that relationship is totally hopeless. You've, you've tried and failed, and the more, more times that you try, it seems like the more times that you end up failing, right? And I could honestly, you know, I'm joking up here, I can think of relationships that I've experienced that are actually hopeless to this day. And I kind of get to this place where we're struggling with this relationship, we're struggling with this hopelessness, we're struggling with feeling less than, and we all kind of get to this question that's, that boils down to a really, really insecure feeling, am I enough? You know, in my example, in my 10th grade chemistry, I wasn't necessarily saying, am I enough? But my question was, am I actually stupid? Am I actually worth all this ridicule? You know? 
in these other relationships that I'm thinking that maybe you're thinking of, maybe you're saying, am I enough? It, is what I'm doing even worth doing anymore? Does this person actually think that little of me? Am I doing anything of value at all? And then we begin to spiral and we get to go down these rabbit holes that are very unhealthy and I would say very satanic as well. I think Satan wants us to be in that place. Satan loves this triangle right here. He loves the triangle between Elkanah and Hannah and Penina, and he wants to continue that cycle. Because this question, am I enough, is definitely going through their brains. I can think of, of, uh, of Hannah, right, saying, am I enough, God? Why did you give me this burden? Am I not worthy of bringing a child into this world that you would not allow me to do so? Am I enough, God? And I think of Penina saying, Am I enough, Elkanah? I gave you children. I fulfilled the exact thing you wanted me to do. Am I not enough to just be this wife that you want me to be and you see in Hannah? And I see Elkanah the same way saying, am I enough? This woman that I love, Hannah, I'm trying to do the very best I possibly can. I give her a double portion. I try to do the very best. I try to love her in the way that I, that I feel is right, but it's still not enough. And the cycle continues and I can hear the echoes still here in 2022 speaking to our own minds, our own hearts, saying, am I enough, God? These things that I'm wrestling with don't seem fair. Elkanah's, excuse me, Hannah's response to all this, right? She, she's not eating. Penina keeps jabbing her, provoking her. But this is Hannah's response. And I think it's very telling to this question, am I enough? This is Hannah's response to kind of these feelings, once when they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me. Do not forget your servant, but give her a son. And then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And, I, and as I continued to read 1 Samuel 1 over and over again, the thing that really stuck in my head was the little part before where it talked about this happening year after year, right? When they would go and they would offer sacrifices, Elkanah would bring his family up year after year. I kept thinking, how many times did Hannah pray a prayer like this? How many times was she not eating? How many times was Penina poking her, jabbing her for the fact that she cannot bring children into this world? How many times is she going to the Lord's house and saying, God, please intervene and do something about this weight that I, am, that I am physically carrying around with me? And I just feel her pain. And I obviously cannot feel her pain the way that she does, but it's just so heavy. And, and what I take away from this is that she is so in such deep anguish that the vow doesn't even really make much sense, Right? If you want to be a mother and you want to bring a child into this world, don't you want to see it grow up? But what does her vow here say? It says, remember me, do not forget your servant, and then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. See, the vow that she's, that she's praying is not even a selfish vow. She's not saying, give me a child so I can see him grow and become whatever he's going to become, and I'm going to see the whole thing take place. No, she's saying, God, I want to bring a child into this world so that he can serve you forever. That is a deep commitment to carrying out the Lord's decrees. She has a deep sense, this show me that I'm enough, God, because I want to be in service to you forever, so much so that I want to have a child to do the exact same thing. 
I am committed to you. I want to see this come to fruition. And Hannah's behavior here kind of alerts Eli in 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 an interesting way. Oh, sorry, I, I need to continue reading this. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli was drunk and said to her, or excuse me, <laughs> Eli, <laughs> wow, that's good. Oh, man. Okay, Eli was not drunk. He thought she was drunk. I should read better. Okay, excuse me. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. You see, we have this, this question, this, this reverberating question of, am I enough? And she seeks out the Lord. And, and it's so interesting the way that Eli sees her praying. It's like he's shocked by her great anguish, her great sense of just you know, pouring herself out to God, that he thinks that she is intoxicated by this, right? This isn't the first time this, you know, this is, excuse me, this is probably the first time he's seen someone do something like this, right? But that, I think, again, shows just how deeply committed Hannah is to carrying out the Lord's decrees. She's so committed to this vow that she's making that even Eli is kind of saying, what is going on here? This woman has a great spirit and a great soul about her and that she's deeply committed to what God has called her to do. So Eli sends her on her way and we know how the rest of the story goes, right? She does have a baby. She does commit his life to the the Lord. We're not going to talk on that today, really. That's for next week. But I want to again ask this question does this story communicate to us today and I think the answer is yes and there's three ways that I think this story really connects to us and the first thing is that we take what I take away from this is that God remembers you God remembers us God remembers me and it's a weird kind of phrase because the way we talk about God I don't think there's any room for him to forget stuff but sometimes we forget that God remembers us Right? If we look here, she does have a baby. She does get to have this child. And it's interesting that she says, remember me, God. And then at the very end here of of chapter 1, it says, and the Lord remembered her. I'm reminded here of Noah and his family. They're on the ark and all the, this chaos of the, of the floods are, are going on around them. All the things are going apart. And it seems like it is a crazy time to be alive for Noah and his family. But this little phrase here is that says, then God remembered Noah and his family. And I'm reminded also of the story there in the Garden of Eden where, where um, Adam and Eve, are, they're hiding from God and they're, they're hiding in their nakedness. And God calls out, where did you go? Do we think that God doesn't know where they are? Do we think that God doesn't remember Noah? Do we think that God doesn't remember Hannah? We should all be shaking our heads like this. No, of course God doesn't forget these things. But what I think we're supposed to take away from this is that there's a deep knowing of who you are by God. There's a deep sense that God knows who you are and he hears you in your cries. He hears you when you are pouring out yourself to him, right? He does not forget you in your anguish, but he remembers you. 
And that question that's going on in our brains, am I enough, am I enough, God's shouting, yes, you're enough. We just don't hear him very well. We forget that he remembers us. We forget that he's like that prodigal father waiting on the porch, sitting in that rocking chair saying he's going to come up anytime now. I have not forgotten you. I will always remember you. But sometimes it's difficult for us to remember that, right? And that's where our, our psalm from today that Alonzo read for us, I have, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. I love how the NIV uh, phrases that. This familiarity between God and you. Even when you are far from God, he is familiar with your ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to, uh, to attain. And that last verse is where we live, guys. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. This knowledge of God knowing us is easily forgotten by us, is what I'm trying to say. And that's what David, I think, is trying to say here, too. Because this is a psalm of David, right? We're going to probably touch on this later on in First and Second Samuel. But there's a sense that even when we're not aware, God is aware. And I want to make you all aware of that this morning, right? That God definitely remembers you no matter what's going on. The second thing is that we need to be pouring ourselves out to God in the same way that Hannah pours herself out to God, right? And, and this might sound a little strange to some of us, but I love the way this is phrased right here. This is Hannah speaking. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord, right? What she was doing was so countercultural, even to Eli that he had to stop and say, wait, are you drinking too much? You need to get out of here. But she is literally pouring out her soul to God. And what I take away from this is that we don't know how to do this very well. Sometimes we find people to confide into and find these people. And I, I please find that type of person you can talk to. At the end of every sermon, every single Sunday, I, said, talk, I say talk to someone today. I mean that. But if we're not talking to God, then the other person's not going to do nearly as much good as he can, right? I am a woman who is deeply troubled. When we're in those places, the last place we often want to go to is the God that remembers us, which sounds crazy when I say it right now, but it's true. The last place we want to go to is to a place where we are alone with God, pouring ourselves out to him, because that takes vulnerability, and that takes kind of the sense of saying, I am wrong. Or I am lost. And we often don't want to say those two things. Right? Or maybe I'm alone there. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be lost. I want to be the guy. I'm a minister. I shouldn't have these problems connecting with, with God. Or I shouldn't have these problems. That is such foolish behavior on my part. It is a foolish idea to say that I don't have to do something like this because I'm a certain way or because I've been going to church forever or because I've been a Christian for a long time. No, this is the, the model that we should be striving to do more and more in our lives, pouring ourselves out so that other people are saying, what is going on with this person? They must have a deep connection to God. They must have a deep relationship. She knew what she was doing. Hannah knew exactly what she was doing. And I find this interesting because I'm reminded of when, when um, Elkanah is, is kind of talking to Hannah and she's refusing to eat. Remember that? 
And he's, he's giving her a double portion, but yet she still doesn't eat. And he says, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? In a way, Elkanah is trying to take the role of God in this, in this situation, right? He's saying, I am sustaining you. Why don't you pour out to me? Why is your heart bad? Why are you so downhearted? But really what Hannah needed to do was pour herself out to the one and only person that can actually do something about it, which was God. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. And I, and I think we take this and, and, and we put it into practice and we're going to see a radical difference in our lives. Instead of pouring ourselves out and just to sitting, sitting down and watching Netflix, pouring ourselves out and sitting down to do whatever it might be, mindless activity, pouring ourselves out, seeking solitude with God and seeking what he can do in the midst of our suffering. And the third thing, and I think this might be overlooked, is that we need to take care of ourselves. Okay, this is amazing, but this is from 1 Samuel 1.18. So after she's pouring herself out to God, after she has this encounter with Eli, all these things are going on, then she went on her way, she ate something, and then her face was no longer downcast. Food helps. Okay, no. Um, but really, um, I think it's one of those things where she emptied herself to God, and then she took care of herself. And I'm not making this just about food. I think it is important to take care of our bodies, obviously. I'm not, I'm not saying that's not truth here. But I think what we're taking into our lives, we need to be very aware of, right? If we're in a situation where we're experiencing grief and anguish, you see, because Hannah could have just dismissed God. So you know what? My, I can't have babies. I'm going to find whatever fertility God. And I'm going to go pray to that God. And maybe that God can help me. Or you know what, I'm going to stop offering sacrifices entirely. I'm not even going to come on this. I don't have any kids with this man. I just need to go do my own thing because obviously it's not working for me. But that's not what she does. She pours herself out to God and she knows that God hears her. And then she nourishes her body and she goes forward. And like I keep referring, she does have this child and she does commit this child to the Lord for the rest of his life. But what I take from this is that what we put into our bodies matters our, with, our, with food, but with also our spirit, with also the things that we consume on a daily basis. Are we consuming the things that are going to turn us towards God, or are we consuming the things that are going to ter, uh, turn us towards the world? I think a lot of us, when we're in those anguish, misery, all that kind of am I enough talk, that self-talk, we're going more towards the world to see what the world can do about it and not towards God. It's not just a food thing, but I find it interesting that before her heart was bad, her heart was downcast, but after pouring out her soul to, the, to God and taking care of herself, she is no longer downcast. And I find that as a formula for success, that when we get into the cycle of saying, am I enough, am I enough, am I enough, God is screaming yes, but we don't give him the time of day to listen pouring out our souls and taking care of what God has given us, getting good stewards of our body and of our spirit. And so I hope that as we go through 1 Samuel, we're, we're able to see these characters and see their problems, but also see ourselves. And I think Hannah and Elkanah and Penina, they're going to have some more issues, I'm sure, along the way, right? We don't get all of the details, uh, but I, I know that God's working through Hannah to see you know, his plan unfold in a, in a, in a, dr a dramatic way. And that Hannah's um, demonstration, really, of just fervent loyalty to God in the midst of great suffering is something that I am just really passionate about and really inspired by. Let's pray.
God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for giving us uh, this example of Hannah, and really of Elkanah and Penina as well. We get to see kind of behind the scenes where there's a lot of bad things going on. And it seems like everybody in the story is struggling with the question, am I enough? And God, I know that today we still struggle with the question, am I enough? We might not say it that way, but we definitely do. So God, I pray that we're able to take this example from Hannah and just apply it to our lives and say, God, I, I want to learn how to pour myself out to you. I just don't know how. Or I, I do want to take in more goodness, but I just don't know how. God, I want to remember that you remember me at all times, but I just don't know how. God, I pray this faith community can be a place where people learn those things, that we can do it together, that we can do it in unison, that we can recognize that not only does God remember you, but we remember you as well. God, help us to be that group of people for whoever needs it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. At this time, we offer just an invitation. If you have any needs to come forward, but you know, if you're, if you're wanting to be baptized, if you're wanting to learn more about baptism or this church or how to be involved, this is also a good time. But like I say, every week, you don't have to come forward, but you do need to talk to someone, and I invite you to talk to someone today while we stand and sing.